A new team at the top of the AL East. The Reds and Marlins are feeling the chill. And what has happened to the Yankees as I'll review all that's going on in Major League Baseball. The Open tees off out in Northern England with the spotlight squarely on Rory McIlroy. James Harden, a clipper. Joel Embiid wants to win in Philadelphia or not. Training camps open up throughout the NFL with some significant names staying put, moving on, or not moving at all. And Messi Mania is about to raise the curtain in Miami. Is anyone into the hype? All the above and then some is what I'll dissect as the latest podcast is on deck. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, Just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels podcast begins in five, four, three, two, one. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Reels Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic and excellent spirits. The sports scene is starting to slowly shift away from its dead zone as I have quite a few interesting topics and scenarios to delve into. Thanks for stopping by to get my take on all. That's happening as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And boy, what a difference a few days makes because when we talked on Monday and we took a lay of the MLB landscape at that time, granted we were coming out of the All-Star break, granted that it's only been a few games, but now that we're just about a week in, And there have been some interesting developments that have taken place, in particular, the top of the AL East, because for the first time all year, the Tampa Bay Rays are not in first place by their lonesome. The Baltimore Orioles salvaged their series against the LA Dodgers over the last three days, and to think, they have not been swept in a series all year. They're the last team standing in Major League Baseball who has avoided being swept three games, or four games for that matter, in a regular season series, and with Tampa having to go to Texas to play the Rangers and them getting swept themselves out of Globe Life Park, find themselves percentage points behind the Orioles heading into a big, humongous, gargantuan series against, you guessed it, the Baltimore Orioles. It'll be at the Trop, it'll be in their friendly confines, if you want to call it that, down in St. Petersburg. But the Orioles, even with their eight-game winning streak heading into Monday's game against the Dodgers and losing a couple of games there, 
One badly 10-3, the other on a grand slam by Chris Taylor. And then yesterday, we're able to overcome getting swept by beating the Dodgers, but Tampa was unable to stay or keep pace, whether it be ahead or even neck and neck as they are. Now, granted, you would think that Tampa, going into the series, you wonder if it was a scenario where they felt Baltimore breathing down their necks, have they maybe gripped the bat a little bit too tight, felt a little bit too much pressure, and now for the first time all year, we're starting to see a lot of things slip through the cracks when it comes to a Ray team that started their year 13-0, had all those games that they won at home to tie Major League Baseball streaks as far as starting off the year, winning whatever it was, how many games in their building, and now here they are. Granted, it's July 20th. It's not September 20th. It's not a scenario like the Mets last year where they were in first pretty much wire to wire and then spin it up against the Braves as I talked about a zillion times here on this podcast. But with this Ray team, and even though they're resourceful as they could be, you wonder whether or not this is a scenario where the Rays may be feeling a little bit of the dog days prior to August on whether or not they could have this division getting taken away from them. And we're going to see the makeup and the metal of this team where, yes, they did go to a World Series. Granted that not this entire team was part of that World Series team, but they've made it to the playoffs the last couple of years, and there is a togetherness about this squad. But now you have to wonder whether or not going into this series against the Orioles, who have played very good baseball, and yes, cooled off a little bit with that series against LA, but now this is going to be a series where if it's split, Over the course of the next four days, no harm, no foul. But if you're Tampa, you know in your ballpark and you wonder if there's going to be quite a few fans that are going to come out to see the Rays play against this Oriole team. You would think, as we're getting into late July, the team has been very successful this year. And we get it. They can't draw flies, although their attendance has improved this year with the way the team has gotten off the first two, three months of the year. But now let's really see if the Ray fan's going to come out and support and see whether or not they're going to be that 10th man or at least that extra boost that the Rays are going to need here because the Orioles, as we know, young, upstart team, on whether or not they're going to see if they could take this division if they do win three out of four and come out of Tampa with a two-game lead. And mind you, they do have four games in hand, the Orioles, to the Tampa Bay Rays. Because when you wake up this morning and you see the standings and you say, wait a minute, why is it so off to where Tampa is 60-39 and 39 and Baltimore is 58-37? and 37? Well, I don't know how many rainouts or games that need to be made up along the way. I'm sure that has something to do with it. But if you're the Orioles, if you come out of here winning three out of four, you're going to look pretty good knowing that you do have those four games in hand and you will have a two-game advantage in the AL East And if Tampa somehow gets themselves together to win three out of four, then it's almost as if, okay, all is right in the A at least for 2023, considering the way the Rays have played and just recently have been in a slump and have not played well. So that's going to be one series I will keep my eyes on, I will pay attention to, because for the middle of late July, and I get it, it's not a sexy series, it's not New York and Philly or New York Atlanta or Red Sox Yankees or even Yankees Astros, it's... Tampa and Baltimore. But for the baseball fan, for the good or diehard sports fan, this is one you're going to pay attention to to see on whether or not Baltimore is really going to maybe even take a step ahead in this division and Tampa's going to take two steps back or will the Rays 
take what was theirs throughout the first three plus months of the season and go ahead and get not necessarily a stranglehold, but get some good footing here in the AL East. I'd like to see the Orioles take advantage here this weekend, knowing that the Rays are a little wounded. And let's see if the Rays will respond. That will even be more intriguing to see with this slump that they've gone through and how they'll be able to bounce back. And who knows if they're going to have anybody flock to the ballpark to support them here over the next four days. But I'd like to see Baltimore take advantage and see if they could come out of this winning three out of four and see where they go from there. Because we talked about these teams last week where the Baltimores of the world, even the Reds, the Marlins, and that's going to be my segue in a second on whether or not they're going to try to bring some reinforcements to put them in position to either make it in as a wild card or even win a division in the case of Baltimore. But for the Reds and Marlins, those are two teams that was very dubious on whether or not they were going to make any moves before the deadline. And we know that the deadline now is what, 11 days away? So for Cincinnati to really come out of the gate slow, losing three to the Brewers and losing the division in the process at home last weekend, and then the Giants come in to win the first two games, and the Giants came in hot as well, winners of seven in a row leading into last night's game before the Reds won. They'll conclude their series this afternoon in Cincinnati, and you would think that they're going to want to get the back two, get this second game to split, and have them feel good about themselves because the vibe there in Cincinnati pretty much since the latter part of May and throughout June and into July has been pretty good. Now, the Giants, again, they're another team you wonder whether or not they're going to spend, although at least they have a little bit of a pedigree. Granted, not in the last nine years or so since they won a World Series, but we know the Giants, if they're going to make a move or two, they will have no problems doing so, whereas the Reds and even the Marlins, for that matter... You can't really say whether or not they're going to bring in that number two pitcher or another big bat in their lineup or maybe even a couple of relievers or guys that come off the bench for utility. That we haven't seen. But the Reds, let's see if they could right the ship and get those two games, back two games against the Giants here to go into the weekend feeling a lot better about themselves. And then the Marlins, what could you say? They've had a topsy-turvy month knowing that they went into that series against the Braves where they got swept. All right, no surprise there. But then they went ahead and won five of seven, winning three out of four against St. Louis, two out of three against Philadelphia. And then out of the break, they get swept in Baltimore and then swept in St. Louis to the point where they've lost six in a row. The Phillies have overtaken them second place in the NL East. And now they go back home to play Colorado, which you think would be at least a panacea for them. But you have to wonder where the Marlins are at right now as far as their confidence level, as far as them trying to erase this and going back home to think if they could start a little bit of a streak again to keep themselves relevant and maybe dive into the trade deadline pool to see if they could pluck a player or two to fortify their team. Obviously, those are big question marks, especially for that team, that market. Same for the Reds, for that matter. But this is why when you get to the deep end of the pool and you want to swim with the big boys, you're going to have to play with them and try to procure some players in the process. You just can't think that all of the magic, smoke, and mirrors to this point is what's going to carry you through August and September. You need to bring in some people. You need to bring in some personnel that's going to put you in that good position to where you get to the last week of the regular season still in it. Or you put yourself in a position where you have a sizable or comfortable lead to where you won't have to worry about having to scoreboard watch there in late September. 
So that's where you have to look for teams like the Reds or the Marlins on whether or not they're going to hang around here and be serious contenders as opposed to being pretenders. Now, do I think they're going to be contenders when it's all said and done? Absolutely not. But this is what happens when you have a small market team that have played over their heads and now that they're in the thick of things, are they going to be at the poker table ready to play or are they just going to keep their cards close to the vest and be very conservative and not be a part of this wild card picture? And then, surprising to even say that I have to open up these can of worms and I get it, the people out there who know me, they're going to think that, oh boy, j is going to rail against the Yankees here. And I get it that it's easy to do so considering that they're a team coming out of the break. They've lost five of six, two out of three in Colorado, swept here by the Angels, and not by any type of pitcher's murderer's row by any stretch. You know, they did not face Smoltz, Glavin, and Greg Maddox here. It was Griffin Canning, Patrick Sandoval, and Chase Silseth. Say that three times. And the Yankees now, speaking of coming home wounded, you think that they would be able to take a day off, and I don't want to hear that, oh, this day off comes at a good time. They just had the All-Star break last week. So maybe these guys were still on vacation while they were trying to lick their wounds from a tough end to their first half when they lose two out of three to the Cubs, when they lose two out of three to teams that they have no business losing to, the Cardinals for that matter. Even losing a game in Oakland to the A's, not good, especially when you're a team that's expected to contend and be at the top of the AL East and not at the bottom where they currently reside. They're in last place. This deep into a regular season for the first time in three decades. That's how far you got to go back. And we could talk about the injuries. We could talk about Aaron Judge. We could talk about their rotation, how they've underachieved here with the likes of Luis Severino and even Domingo Herman after the perfect game that he had in Oakland, how he's been eh since then. And he's had an eh year when you think about it. But now you bring in Carlos Rodon, who's been awful. And yesterday, he couldn't even get the salvage, the final game of that series, which is a bad job on his part. Did not pitch well in Colorado. Came out in his first start. All right, you're not going to kill him against the Cubs, but he gave up that bomb to Cody Bellinger, but certainly didn't do his job as an $162 million contract that he signed there in the offseason. But this Yankee team, I can't even believe my eyes that they're, what, three games over five hundred. They have just been god-awful since Judge has been out since June 3rd. And that just goes to show you how important Judge is to this team because without him, he is the guy that stirs the straw to this Yankee drink. And this drink right now just tastes god-awful. And you wonder if there's going to be any type of reinforcement in sight for them. And you know that Brian Cashman, I'm sure, is working the phones to try to bring in the aforementioned Cody Bellinger from a Cub team that you think will be out of it, or try to bring in some relievers as their bullpen has now sprung leaks, or maybe even another rotation guy because you can't trust Luis Severino. Who knows about Nestor Cortez, who's been on the show for quite some time. Rodon, right now he's a big giant question mark. And Cole, although he's been very good this year, but come October, he's also another question mark because do you really trust him 100% when it's game one of an ALDS, or maybe even in a wild card as the way this Yankee team is playing. And as it is right now, they're not even in the top six seeds of the American League. So who knows what you're going to get from this team over the last two and a half months. So as bad as it's been, it could only go up. 
right? Well, guess who comes to town this weekend to play the Yankees at the stadium? The Kansas City Royals, who are just as bad as the Oakland A's. But think about this. For all those series that they've lost to over the last month or so, do you really have a lot of confidence to think that the Yankees can't win two games, let alone one game against the Royals this weekend? Now, in all seriousness, I would think that they're going to win at least two. And Garrett Cole's going to start there on Friday. So you would think they're going to get off to a good start. But this team has the worst batting average in the sport since Judge has been on the I.L. They have the third worst on-base percentage, for what that's worth, here in the sport since that time. They haven't been able to get key hits and key spots, can't hit their way out of a wet paper bag. And like I mentioned, even their bullpen is not pitched well, and they've done well over the first three months of this season. So what does that leave you with here on July 20th? A team that looks like they may not even make the postseason, even if they bring in guys who could certainly either pick up the offense or even the bullpen or even the starting rotation. And how has the Sean Casey experiment worked when they jettisoned Dylan Lawson to think that all the Yankee ills were based on the hitting coach? Well, Sean Casey hasn't done a lot much more of an improvement that you would think from a guy who's had a very good major league career. I understand he's only been here a week, so you can't just base it on these six games, but... Is it all on Dylan Lawson that this team has just gotten to in the malaise here for the last six, seven weeks? So boy, I tell you, things in the Bronx are not looking good. And I think when it's all said and done, they'll make it into the playoffs. I have no if ands, buts, maybes about that. But they have not shown any life here over this almost two-month stretch. And you wonder, even with the Royals and they have the Mets coming in next week, with Justin Verlander, I'm sure to start there on Tuesday because he pitched last night. I don't know what to tell you, Yankee fans, and I don't know who's going to come. You could dig up the grave of Babe Ruth. I don't think he's going to be enough to save this Yankee season, at least as of right this moment. But having the Royals come in, that's a start. But based on the way they performed here, I don't know if that's going to be the remedy for their ills at this current moment. So we will certainly have to wait and see how that's going to shake down. So you have some key series ending here, as we mentioned. San Francisco and the Reds. Arizona and Atlanta will wrap up their series. And great job by the Diamondbacks. Losing to Toronto, getting swept up north of the border, and then winning the first two games down in Atlanta. They could go for the sweep there at Truist Park. And the Braves have now lost four in a row, but nobody's going to worry about the Braves at this moment. Let's see two weeks from now if this four-game losing streak becomes, let's say, 11-15 of 15 or 12-16, of 16, something along those lines. But... They're going to be in good stead there as far as the division goes. The Brewers and Phillies will wrap up their series. That's also a four-game set. And then when we look into the weekend, obviously Baltimore and Tampa is the highlight there. Besides that, not really a lot to chew on. You want to say Arizona and Cincinnati. Mets going up to Boston to play the Red Sox for nostalgic sake. Of course, 86, but these teams have played in the regular season before over the years, so that's not really a big deal. The Dodgers going to Texas to play the Rangers. That's a series to keep an eye on because the Dodgers have played well out of the break, winning two out of three in New York against the Mets. Of course, we talked about them beating the Orioles two out of three, so their long road trip will end up in Texas to see whether or not how they stack against the front-running Rangers. So you have the two West teams in the AL and NL going at it this weekend. And besides that, that's all you have. Toronto at Seattle, the Mariners can't get out of their own way. So the baseball season has taken a little bit of a turn here over the course of the last week and certainly over these last few days. 
Let's see where we're at come Monday with some of these series and where they stack as we'll have a lot to dissect and unpack at that time as the baseball season trudges along and gets closer to the deadline, which is August 1st, a week from this coming Tuesday. Now let's shift gears as I get out my golf clubs because the final golf major of the year is already underway and in fact, a first round is just about in the books where the top of the leaderboard has some guys that you may be familiar with but one name that certainly does not ring in my consciousness when it comes to golf. When you have a guy like Christo Lamprecht who is five under at the current moment a guy that I never heard of, or I'm certainly not familiar with. Now, it's only one round. You can't get crazy. Let's see what happens after tomorrow and into the weekend. But could this guy be your Wyndham Clark here, as we saw last month at the U.S. Open, come out of nowhere to win that major tournament? Does Lamprecht have enough to see if he can continue this consistent play over the course of the next three rounds to at least be at the top of the leaderboard come Sunday and maybe shock the world to be a guy that will win the final major of the year? Still a lot of golf, 54 holes to be played, but right now he's sitting pretty there at the top, and let's see if he can continue that momentum into the weekend. But as we know, the big story, at least for me, and I'm sure for a lot of people in the golf world, is what Rory McIlroy will do here, because for two reasons. One, he did win the Scottish Open there over this past weekend, and with that momentum coming into this weekend, where his last major that he won, which is on this same golf course, the Royal Liverpool Golf Club there in Hoylake in the northern part of the United Kingdom. It's right off the coast there, so I'm sure it makes for a beautiful backdrop. But for McElroy, and we've talked about this ad infinitum here over the last few months, whether it was at the Masters, whether it was at the PGA, or even the U.S. Open last month, a guy who has not won a major in 10 years, or just about, this is his ninth, so if he doesn't win this tournament... He's going to go on 10 years without winning a major golf tournament. And with all the momentum from the Scottish Open, which is not a big tournament, I get it that it's a win under his belt and with some momentum coming in, as I said. But he's going to have to really show and prove whether or not he's going to have enough to be close or within striking distance come Saturday and Sunday because I'm sure a lot of people are going to have the eye on him With everything that has happened, especially throughout this year, his comments about the Live Tour, even against the Live Tour, with this united front of Live and the PGA, as we talked about there a month and a half ago, and him not being able to back up his play, even though he gets final rounds shooting 64 and 65, maybe the bridesmaid never the bride theory, where he's come close or has fallen in second place, where he had a furious rush there on the final day but was not able to overcome or at least outlast the champ on that final Sunday but now it's all there for McElroy to see whether or not he could pull out a major a long needed major under his belt and for him to at least get that piano off his back because other than that you would think that the guys like Scotty Scheffler John Rahm Brooks Kepka. You know the usual suspects, and maybe a surprise or two, as we've talked about with Crystal Lamprecht. But for McElroy, this is his tournament. Not necessarily for him to win, but he definitely has to show up here. He cannot just kind of be floating in the background, or maybe be, let's say, four or five strokes behind, and see if he could try to get that furious rush to get himself 
into Saturday and obviously into Sunday close to or near the top of the leaderboard because if he's just going to be in the middle of the pack, you have to wonder whether or not what is between his ears at this point because we understand that it's psychological. And when we hear all the whispers and all the pundits out there talk about Rory being a favorite and a guy that could certainly win this tournament, I'm sure he's heard that for the last nine years. And for him to maybe carry that to a tent, that's just added pressure for a guy who is obviously one of the top golfers in the world. But right now, as I take a look at the leaderboard, you don't have a lot of guys who are household names there. All right, you do see Tommy Fleetwood, who always gets off to good starts here when it comes to these major tournaments. But he always seems to fade there late. Stuart Sink is a guy that people are familiar with, but again, not a sexy name. Jordan Spieth, who is currently 2-under, and I didn't mention Tommy Fleetwood is tied with Lamprecht. The reason why I mentioned Lamprecht because he's a guy that maybe could be your Wyndham Clark here. But Fleetwood tied with Lamprecht there, 5-under. Sink is 3-under. Then you have Matthew Jordan, a guy that I'm not familiar with, who is currently tied there with Jordan Spieth, 2-under. And then as we take a look, going down... The leaderboard. Where do I see Roy McElroy? And I hate to say it, I'm still scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, and I do not see his name. Did he even participate in this thing? Let's start there. I'm going down the list. Now, granted, there are guys who are still haven't teed off yet, so I gotta give that some consideration. And I know that McElroy, I believe, is paired with Wyndham Clark. And the other player, he eludes me at this present moment. I believe it's Justin Rose. But McElroy, he hasn't teed off yet. So you know what? I jumped the gun there. So my apologies there. Here I am ready to pounce on Rory McElroy to see where he's at. And as I'm scrolling, 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 of course, I got to remember the time difference. I got to remember that he was teeing off late. And I'm sure he's already teed off based on his... 9.40, or excuse me, 9.59 start time. So we're just about getting ready for him to get himself underway there at the Royal Liverpool Golf Club. So me being a little bit overzealous here as I'm recording this, this is, again, McElroy. It's going to be all on him to see whether or not he's going to hang tough and hang tight here to see if he could come out with a major golf victory that he hasn't had now in going on 10 years so just like I talked about with the baseball certain series that we're going to keep an eye on obviously McElroy is going to be the one guy that a lot of people are going to pay attention to here over the weekend and as far as the golf course I'm not too familiar with it I know the last time they were there was when McElroy won in six, in 2014 2006 is when Tiger won so those are the last two times that the Open was taking place there in that particular part of the UK So I can't really gauge whether or not it's going to be tough. We understand that when it comes to the British Open, we know the weather and the elements are going to play a big part of this. Whether it's the rain, whether it's the wind, and with this being in the northwestern part right off the coast, you wonder whether or not that you're going to have a scenario or a, let's say, a day or two where it could play into this tournament, whether or not it's going to be very windy, whether or not you're going to get that sideways rain or just that constant mist throughout the course of the weekend, who knows? And that's the one thing that you don't like about the British at times, where you see them either in parkas or in turtlenecks, the long sleeves, where it's toasty and it's very warm here in the States, 
to watch a 50-degree, windy, just rainy golf course is not pleasant to the eye when you're seeing skullcaps or just everybody bundled up just trying to get through a round where it just takes away from the action, it takes away from the even dynamic to a certain extent because you want to see sunshine, you want to see clouds, you want to see just picture-perfect weather and I couldn't even tell you what the weather's going to be like there over the weekend, but that's something we're going to have to monitor when it comes to these players and when you look at the top of the leaderboard, 5-under, not really dominating. I don't have a finger on the temperature or on the pulse to see what's gone on there over the course of the last few hours, but you know that's something that I will be on top of and keep in mind here as we get through this final golf major and see where it all ends up when we revisit on Monday and recap it all at that time. All right, now I'm going to put on my helmet and shoulder pads. That's right, because training camps have already opened in the National Football League. The Browns and Jets opened early because they have the Hall of Fame game, which I believe is two weeks from tonight. And I know the Lions also, I believe they open up their camps this weekend. I believe on Saturday. But you'll have everybody else, whether it's the rookies or veterans, on the 25th or really 26th. So that's a week from this past Tuesday where all these camps will be in full bloom. And we could start thinking about getting into consciousness when it comes to football and as I've said before, and I'll say one last time, yours truly, I'm not going to invest that much. Of course, I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to keep on top of what's going on. When it comes to the preseason games, you can forget about it. I won't watch a lick. Yes, uh, obviously keep an eye on who gets injured or what's going to happen here with some of these players as far as them getting cut later on in training camp. But other than that, I can't get geeked up and crazy about who's going to show up as far as taking the second or third string spot on the special teams unit or some of the number one picks who's going to take over a spot for the starter in a defense, whether you're in Detroit, Pittsburgh, Washington, etc. And again, that's not to say that I'm just going to shirk my responsibility as a podcast host to just say, wake me up September the 11th or whenever the first Sunday of the NFL season is, but... Again, I can't get too wrapped up here on what happens here in training camp. For the diehard NFL fan, and Lord knows I am. I love the NFL. Although I've been down on it for reasons that I won't get into right now. But Lord knows I'm into the NFL. But same for NBA when they have their training camps or even exhibition baseball, which is a little bit different because you look forward to the warm weather in the spring, etc. But I don't get even wrapped up on the baseball exhibition games and what goes on there during spring training. Not at all. So why should I do the same when it comes to the NFL? Why? Because it's the shield? Why? Because it's the most popular sport in the country? Why? Because everybody's getting ready to draft their fantasy teams for the upcoming year? As you all know, I am not that guy. So with that being said, I'll push that aside and won't continue to bore you with that. You had the issue there we talked about on Monday with Saquon Barkley. I mentioned more Barkley than Josh Jacobs as well as Tony Pollard. Now, Pollard did sign his franchise tender, whatever it was, $10.8 million. Josh Jacobs did not. Same for Saquon Barkley, where here locally, that is an interesting dynamic because with the Giants looking to try to piggyback off of what they did last year, making it through the postseason, 
getting their feet wet, beating Minnesota, and then losing to Philadelphia in the divisional round. So now, without having Saquon, at least for the start of training camp, and you would think for, in all likelihood, most of training camp, it's going to be interesting whether or not the Giants are going to pony up and give the former number two overall pick what he wants or something close to that to where they could get him back into camp in a decent amount of time for him to get ready for the start of the season, for him to be ready to take on another year of hits, another year of punishment. And I understand why Barkley, and even said in one of these podcasts that he might have to sit out this upcoming year if he's not going to get what he so deservedly is asking for. And if that's going to be his stance, I understand that the fans may not like that, or they may look at that and say, come on, Saquon, you know, we need you, but he's not a guy that's already under contract that he wants to make the most out of all the running backs in the sport where he could honor that contract, but is going to get fined day after day. Remember, that tender was offered, and he's not going to get fined throughout training camp. So if the Giants on September 1st present a decent enough contract for Barkley to come back and say, you know what, I'm going to sign, then he has every right to sit out until then. So you can't bicker whether or not Barkley should be in camp or because he's on the contract that he should be come July 25th or 26th that he's going to be in two-a-days or on contact drills there from the start. Not the case. So that's going to be a game of maybe not chicken, but an emotional tug of war on whether or not Barkley, and I would think when it's all said and done, he and Jacobs, they'll sign a deal. But who knows if it's going to be another Le'Veon Bell a la 2018 to where Barkley's going to sit out, and that's where he's going to feel the hurt once the regular season begins and he's not earning any paychecks. But if he's willing to do that, then God bless him. And not to compare this to Le'Veon Bell, that's the only barometer that we have as fans. And Bell, who had those all-pro seasons in Pittsburgh before taking that year off, and we know what happened to his career after that with the Jets and bounced around, and now he's not even in the league anymore. He's out boxing. Not to say that's going to be Saquon Barkley's fate, but you have to wonder whether or not if he does forego this season, is it going to be a boon for him to have that year off to get rest and then come back in a fury? Or is that going to hurt him? And this is all premature, people, but it's something to discuss now as this stalemate between the Giants and Barkley has already come to pass. Now, another player I didn't really discuss who signed earlier in the week was DeAndre Hopkins. And talk about his star falling big time. Hopkins, as we know, is one of the top receivers in the sport when healthy and has been an all-pro as one of the top two in the NFL. But with the six-game suspension starting off last year due to PEDs, him not really getting on track with a Arizona team that was out to sea before he was able to step foot back onto a field to play out a season. And with him trying to maneuver and see where his next destination was going to be, it looked like it was going to be New England where the Patriots were going to offer a contract, but he settled with Tennessee only because they offered more guaranteed money. And I believe it was two years at 25 or $26 million. Now we know the Patriots... They're going to pay, but they're going to pay on their terms. They're not going to roll out the red carpet and break the bank for a guy who, yes, has all pro pedigree, who is a top flight receiver, but they're just not going to shell out the big bucks when it comes to a guy that, yes, he does have a resume, but 
we all know it's a what have you done for me lately league and Belichick's going to say that when it comes to the terms and conditions of what Hopkins was going to have to sign to if he were to join the Patriots. But as we know, that's not going to be the case. And why Tennessee? I get it. More guaranteed money and there were not a lot of suitors for Hopkins. But let's face it, he did not end up in a good spot. Ryan Tannehill's your quarterback. If he gets hurt, it's going to be Malik Willis. There could be a lot of days where he's going to have four or five catches in a game. And yes, it's all predicated on whether Derrick Henry can stay healthy because if the running game is open, that means Tannehill will have those passing lanes. And Tannehill, he's a competent quarterback. But is he a guy that's going to take you over the top? Absolutely not. And for the Titans... If their run game isn't in sync, if their run game isn't flowing and it's as one of the tops in the sport, then you can forget about it. This Titan team is going to be floundering and they play in a weak division. Now we know Jacksonville, they were able to come out on top and you would think there's going to be a lot of expectations for them to win a division based on them making the playoffs and having that miraculous come from behind game against the Chargers before losing to the Chiefs and they had a shot in that game. But who knows what's going to happen with Indianapolis as they're bringing in Anthony Richardson as they drafted him in the first round. Who knows with Houston, C.J. Stroud. You think there's going to be a lot of growing pains with those two organizations. So this could be maybe a shot for Tennessee and for Jacksonville to duke it out there in the AFC South. But again, Hopkins, not a great landing spot, but he got his money. Let's see what's going to happen there as we get closer to training camp. And besides that, With the NFL, I know Zach Martin, that's a big thing, especially down in Dallas. The offensive lineman on him not possibly showing up here to camp. And I don't know what his situation is with his contract. I don't know if he wants an extension. If he's under contract, then he's going to get fined. And the fan has every right to just be furious and even upset with him to know that, all right, we understand you want to hold out for more money, but you still have a contract. You should be able to honor it and hopefully have your representation Hammer that out with the Joneses. But if Martin's going to hold out for more money, and understandably and rightfully so, as being one of the top guards in the sport, then does he have a right? Maybe not, but we understand that the player's going to have some sort of power to know that until I get my money, then I'll show up. And here's a case where it looks like, at least from the outside, I don't know all the details as far as that goes, but I would think that Martin on the contract will show up at some point because... All the fines that will accumulate over the days is going to be too much for him to handle, you would think. So maybe a deal can be consummated or maybe he just ends up showing up and having to hopefully be able to come to an extension at some point. And then the Steelers were able to keep one of their own, Alex Highsmith, who got his extension four years, $68 million. So when I said at the top, you had people moving, DeAndre Hopkins, people staying, Alex Highsmith, and then who knows what's going to go on with the Barkley-Jacobs scenario. But for Highsmith, 14 and a half sacks last year, who had to pick up a lot of the slack where T.J. Watt was hurt for most of the first half of the season. And to have that duo there wrecking backfields there throughout the course of the season. And Highsmith, you know the Steelers, linebacker you, they could draft anybody, it seems, and they seem to flourish. Whether your name is Bud Dupree, and I get it, he was a number one pick, but he came out of Kentucky. It's not as if he came out of a big-time school. Or Highsmith, in his case, a third-round pick. Remember years past, Lamar Woodley was a second-round pick out of Michigan, and he had a very good career in Pittsburgh. T.J. Watt was 30th. Nobody thought that he was going to 
amass the type of record numbers that he had, especially in a Steeler uniform and become a defensive player of the year. So that's how the Steelers and what they do as far as drafting linebackers. And now they got him and TJ Watt, as we all know, is a top paid player. Let's see if they can stay healthy and do some damage there for a Steeler defense that's actually a lot older than expected. When you bring in guys like Patrick Peterson in particular to be a corner and... Again, training camp will raise the curtain here for a lot of these teams throughout the course of the country, throughout the country, when they get started here in the early part of next week. I got a couple of things before I wrap up. Let me lace up my sneakers and go through the association on a couple of quickies. The first one being James Harden and him saying that he wants to be traded to the LA Clippers. Daryl Morey, who I'm sure is a little bit torn, but he has stated that he's not going to just trade him for the sake of his wishes and granting those, he's going to try to get back at least comparable, if not better compensation than what he would probably just do a favor. I'm not going to say he's going to do James Harden a favor. We talked about their relationship dating back to the days when they were both in Houston. But the point of the matter is, if Harden wants to go to LA, and if you're Lawrence Frank, the VP of Basketball Ops, out in La La Land for the Clippers, you cannot make any deal to bring Harden there. One, we talked about it ad infinitum. You know what you're bringing on to your team if you're going to bring James Harden. And we understand that he has his moments, but he's on the back end of his basketball career. That's number one. Number two, he doesn't deliver in the clutch, as we've said time after time after time. And number three, do you really want to reunite James Harden with Russell Westbrook again? Now, we understand that Westbrook is probably going to take a lesser role. I'm sure he's going to spot start. Maybe he does start the year. Who knows? But Westbrook's role is going to change slightly here. And now you're going to bring in Harden to upset that apple cart? And not to say it's all about Westbrook and trying to appease him, but still. I would stay away completely. Let him wish that he goes to LA, but there is no way that I would even think about bringing his juju, his energy to that team, to that organization who has not made it to an NBA final. And as we know, Harden sends his one stint at Oklahoma City when he was a reserve and played against the Miami Heat back in 2012, he has not sniffed the finals, so that's why I wouldn't want to have him anywhere near my team or organization if I'm LA. So that's number one. And number two, Joel Embiid in a conference for a sports film festival with Maverick Carter stated that he wants to win a championship so bad that hopefully he does it with Philadelphia or somewhere else. Now I get it. You can sink your teeth into that so many different ways. Who knows if that's a read between the lines, whether or not that he's willing to be traded to a team that's going to win, whether or not he's sick about trusting the process, whether he's sick of what's going on behind the scenes there with all of the rumors and all the rumblings, even dating back to the days where Jimmy Butler was a part of the team and he left to go to South Beach and Ben Simmons and All of the specter that surrounded that team when Simmons was there. And now you bring in Harden and everything that happened there. And now him wanting to be traded to LA. Maybe he says, get me out of here. I want to win a championship. I don't care if it's on the moon for the aliens. I just want to win a championship. He's got his MVP in the bank. He's got all the accolades, the first team NBAs, and all the money that he could spend for his grandkids and his grandkids' grandkids. But now he wants to win a title. So you can take those words for what it's worth. Me, I'm not going to read between those lines. I understand that maybe that's a way for him to maybe 
open up a, I don't want to say can of worms because those worms haven't been opened, but him to open up a conversation to possibly have the Sixers trade Embiid. But at the same time, are you going to get anything close to equal or more compensation to get 150 cents on the dollar and not just 50 cents on the dollar for a guy like Embiid? I don't think he's going to be traded. I think Maury, that would be the biggest mistake. Harden is one thing, and Bede's another. And you have Tyrese Maxey, a young guy that you could build around. Tobias Harris, he's an expiring contract. Who knows, maybe you could get something back in return for him. A guy that could probably be somewhere a little bit better than Tobias Harris, who's making whatever it is, $30 million a year. P.J. Tucker's a guy, is a good glue guy that you want to have on your team. But... If you ask me, I think Embiid is going to stay put. I'd be shocked if Embiid gets dealt here based on these comments. And I'm sure maybe the organization has had that discussion with him to say, Joel, tell us how you feel. Do you want out? What's going on? Whatever. They have to read those tea leaves as best as they possibly can because the last thing they need is just to say, oh, Joel's fine. Everything's all good. No problem. And then you go into a regular season where they haven't made many improvements. It's pretty much the same team, maybe without Harden there, as it was last year. And Philly could be that team that could surprise. Philly could be that team that maybe in the upper echelon in the East, but when it's all said and done, even with a new coach and Nick Nurse, who's won a title in Toronto, it's still not going to be enough to outlast the Celtics, the Bucks, or... Maybe even the Miami Heat, when it's all said and done, who knows what's going to happen there with Damian Lillard if he does happen to be traded to South Beach and change the landscape of what the Eastern Conference would look like. So, I would think it's much ado about nothing, but is it something we have to pay attention to? I would say no, but I wouldn't be surprised as we get deeper into the summer on whether or not Embiid says, I'm requesting a trade out of Philadelphia, and then now everybody's antennas up as to where the reigning MVP will end up where he'll go, etc. And we'll have to regurgitate all that nonsense as we've talked about even with Damian Lillard, as we talked about with other players that may be traded or on the move, etc. So we will see what happens there over the course of these next few weeks. And then lastly, Messi Mania. As I put on my soccer cleats, and I know the Women's Cup or the World Cup for the Women's has begun And I haven't paid any attention to that, people, so my apologies there. I know soccer is not really on my radar, and people are going to say, well, if it's not on your radar, Jay Reels, why are you going to bring up Lionel Messi? As reported, he may not start in his first game tomorrow, but will be in the lineup, and I'm sure will play. But the reason why I bring up Messi is because he's a figure that, obviously, the world knows, arguably the world's most recognizable athlete, if you want to throw in LeBron James, If you want to throw in, I'm sure, another soccer player, whether it's Neymar, Mbappe, maybe Ronaldo. I don't know. His star is probably not as bright as those other two guys. And I'm sure there's a few other athletes that I'm missing at this present moment. Maybe Shohei Otani, if you want to put him up there. But for Messi to now be a part of the American landscape, consciousness, to the soccer fan, even to the average sports fan. What this means for the MLS, what this means for soccer overall, I think it's going to make a little bit of an impact and you would think maybe in South Florida, we know the Latin influence down there, it's a plenty. 
And that's probably the best spot for Lionel Messi to land. And I'm sure having David Beckham in his corner certainly helped. But is this all of a sudden going to resurrect or even maybe reinvigorate soccer in this nation? Off the top of my head, I can't say it's going to. I understand in certain pockets of the country, whether it's in the Pacific Northwest with Seattle, Portland, and some other places where they love the MLS and they love soccer. Here in the tri-state area, whether it's the New York City Football Club or even the Red Bulls, there's not a lot of fanfare. There's not a lot of hype surrounding those. And the NYCFC won a championship a couple of years ago. And even though I know a smattering of people who go to the games at Yankee Stadium... But it's not as if there's a groundswell where, oh my God, NYCFC is in a championship. I'm going to watch or I got to pay attention to this or I got to follow this. New York, you got so much else when it comes to sports that soccer is at the bottom rung of the ledger when it comes to what goes on in the world of competition. So because I don't really follow it, and maybe if this was in a city, maybe if I was in Miami, I have a better understanding and better feeling of it. But I think this could maybe awaken certain pockets and maybe gain some attention and some notoriety. But is Messi going to go in there and light the world on fire? I don't know that. Now, I'm sure it's going to bring a lot of people to buy tickets and a lot of people to go down there. And it's interesting because I made the comparison to Pele once upon a time with the New York Cosmos back in the 70s. Well, just a couple of decades ago, we had... David Beckham, the aforementioned, who's now part of the Inter-Miami ownership group, he was a guy that when he came stateside to play for the LA Galaxy, that was all the rage then. And yes, there were times where people flocked to see him and made sure that when he came to town, a lot of the press and the publicity were surrounding David Beckham. And not to say David Beckham is Pele or even Lionel Messi for that matter, but you do have to look at a guy like that who was a big star and did have a big following. And of course, being married to one of the Spice Girls certainly helped as well. But his name does speak for itself. But even then, it wasn't overwhelming. It wasn't must-see TV. It wasn't a situation when the Galaxy played here locally against the Red Bulls, and that was even before the NYCFC, that so many people flocked to see David Beckham. I don't remember a lot of that hype being surrounded about him coming to town about, oh, I got to get tickets to go see David Beckham. And that's not to say that, well, Jay Reels, if you don't know anything about soccer, well, I do know about and read about sports, not only on a daily basis, but on an hourly basis. And even with something like that, I would seek out and really give it the attention that it needs and maybe even deserves for that matter. But when he came to town and left for those two or three years when he was in MLS, it's not as if, wow, he lit the world on fire, David Beckham. Can I expect the same for Lionel Messi? Although he's one of the top two or three or maybe even four. When we look at Mount Rushmore, soccer players in the history of its sport, does he belong up there? Based on the information that I gathered from people who are in the know and people who watch the sport and followed it for years, absolutely yes. But is he going to have that impact? Not just necessarily for the short term, which we would think, but more so for the long term. I can't answer that. And if you're going to ask me right now, head on the chopping block, I'd say no. Give me the young star that is on the come up, that is not going to play overseas in the Premier Leagues or the FIFA Cups or whatever, the UEFA Cups, 
Let me see the 25, 26-year-old come and play in the MLS and be a part of that to where it could really take off so he could take the league by storm on his own. Not a guy that has already built his reputation as an all-time great and as an immortal to now come play for whatever it is, one, two, three years and make his mark on an MLS to when the time comes for him to retire, that's it. He's going to be forgotten, it's going to be an afterthought, and that is it. So for me, for the MLS to really thrive and to really take into its own shape or form, they need to have that young player and grow and build with that team, that community, and that league and not have a guy who's already done that elsewhere and then come and be a part of the MLS and the sports fan to get their attention and garner it in that direction to where they could either buy into the hype, feed into it, and believe it, and then where at this point, you don't know whether it's going to take off or not. And that's how I feel with this whole Lionel Messi situation. That's nothing against him, into Miami, etc. They did what they had to do to bring him there, and kudos for him to balk at the money that the Saudis were going to give him as far as they were giving him billions of dollars to play in their league. And he said, no, I'll come to the States. Maybe this was something that he felt that to put the, not necessarily the MLS on the map, but just to gain that much more attention and to elevate that league another notch or two. If that's what he did it for, God bless him. But do I really think at the end of the day that this is going to take the country by storm, that his, just his name alone, let alone his performance, his resume, etc., is going to carry the MLS to greater heights? I can't say it will. And until they get that younger player to build and just carry the league on his own back, to be that force that maybe they can move up the ranks to be a sport that, not to say they will crack the top four, but maybe could be as popular as hockey, dare I even say baseball, considering how baseball is just laying in the weeds right now in between with all their rule changes and somewhat being archaic because the sport has just been a far cry from what it once was with the analytics and everything like that. I don't know, but I don't think this experiment, when it's all said and done, is going to take the league or the sport to heights that hasn't been seen since maybe the days of Pele back in the 70s. But his first game tomorrow, let's see what that hype, let's see what that hysteria will bring. And who knows? If it's enough to discuss on Monday, I'll bring it up. If it becomes an afterthought, like, hey, there he is, and he waves, and he had a chance to score a goal and went over the crossbar, is that something to really get into? I can't say it is. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode in the books. As always, thank you so much for stopping by to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the wonderful world of sports. If you haven't done so, like I mentioned at the top, please subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it. As well as hit me up on any of my socials. Follow me on YouTube at JReels, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the JReels Podcast. Twitter, JReels1, just the number. And you can hit me up on any of my DMs or the old-fashioned way by email to jreelspodcast at gmail.com. One more time, question, comment, suggestion, please do so. I'll be more than happy to answer any questions or follow up on any comments because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA. I am not going anywhere as long as I'm breathing, as long as I'm alive on God's green earth because this is what I've been sought out to do since birth. My passion my fire, my fury, my energy to discuss 
and share my thoughts, opinions, feelings, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.